0: when I was preparing my sermon um, um, that something Mr. Harris pointed out in these illusions, these tricks, it came to my mind and it made an impression on me. He explained how illusions are just misperceptions. They trick our minds into believing something that is not real. Illusions are done by altering our perception, either by persuasion, distraction, or both. This type of manipulation is exactly what the devil does to us in order to deceive us. With every lie he distracts us or persuades us from the truth of God. So over the next two Sundays we'll be looking at scripture here in Jude and I've, I've titled the message Fighting for the Faith. We all know that the world says Seeing is believing, right? You've heard that? Of course, as Christians, we know that Scripture tells us that seeing comes from believing. First, we must have faith in order to see. Now, I don't mean that if I believe long enough that this paper is blue, that it's eventually going to turn blue, okay? No, what we're saying is whatever you believe in your mind is how you will perceive the world and this life, the things that happen and why your beliefs and your perceptions they shape who you are they shape your actions your decisions and there are plenty of psychologists and scientists who agree with this very statement it's not just me or or the bible or christians there are others um, in the secular world who believe this very thing and you know who else believes this statement the devil in fact he used the truth of believing is seen to alter eve's perception in the garden of eden As Mr. Harris, the magician I told you about, put it, the devil tricked her with an illusion that there was more, that God was holding out on her and Adam. The temptation of this beautiful, shiny, delicious-looking fruit was more about the idea that she could have more knowledge, more power, and to be like God. And so as I was studying for this message, I found the order of events that took place as Satan was deceiving Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Very interested. I found them very interested. So If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. And um, we're going to read, I'm going to be reading this uh, particular scripture from the Holman Christian Standard Bible Version. And as I read it, I picked up on something that I had not seen before. So let's begin in verse 1. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals, and that the lord god had made he said to the woman did god really say you can you can't eat from any tree in the garden the woman said to the serpent we may eat from the fruit from the trees in the garden but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden god said you must not eat it or touch it or you will die no you will not die the serpent said to the woman in fact god knows that when you eat it your eyes will be open and you will be like god knowing good and evil then The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Some versions of this say in verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good. But I chose this version because it says then, and I believe then is the key word here. Let me explain. First, we see in this passage that Satan, Satan is getting Eve to just doubt a little bit, right? Just doubt a little bit about what God said and if he was really right. And he goes on to try to convince her. In verse 5, he tells her that God knows that when she takes from this fruit, her eyes will be open and that she'll be like God. Now, here's where it gets interesting to me. Right after Satan fills her head with these words that she will be like God, knowing all things. Verse six says, Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food, delightful to look at, and it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. The key word, like I said, is then, meaning before Satan came along, she had believed what Adam told her. She knew and believed that they would die if they ate from that tree. She saw it as a negative thing, that it was disgusting. But after listening to Satan, she begins to believe that what he, is, what he is saying to her, and then as she begins to believe, her perception is altered. This tree all of a sudden and this fruit that's on it, it was good to her. Instead of bringing death like God had said, she believed it would bring life. It was an illusion that Satan had tricked her with. And what is Satan's agenda? To steal, to kill, and to destroy In John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, The thief only comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. I, Jesus, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I believe we've all probably been victim of this manipulation. And the sad truth is most people would rather walk in it. There are many people who don't even realize how deceived they are and that they are actually working for the efforts of the devil in this illusion. Our scripture that was read in Jude says, these are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Jude, who wrote this book, was Jesus' half-brother, if you didn't know. And he starts it off by expressing that he originally intended to write this letter in a more positive way, to um, celebrate the salvation that believers shared together. And the truth is that we want To talk about that, we want to talk about the positive part of our salvation, right? But we cannot be naive or ignorant of how easy it is to be distracted or persuaded into false teaching. If you're a believer or if you're not, we've just seen how tricky the devil can be. Jude is swayed swayed to shift his writing of a letter that's encouraging about salvation to a letter about contending for the faith. And another word for contend is fight. God wants us to know that we must stand firm in our faith and fight. As you know, in just a couple short weeks, we will be celebrating the 4th of July. And this idea of fighting for something greater. So in these couple of weeks, I ask that you begin to think about and pray about illusions. And ask the Lord to reveal any illusions that you may have that are altering your perception, your perspective of his truth. Now, I know how, I know, um, I, I love how Jude is just straightforward with his message. He gets right to the point when you start reading the book, he, he addresses this false teacher and and teaching and exposing it. So so let's dive in by first seeing why Jude is telling us that we need to fight for our faith in today's world. And then as we go through our passage, we're going to take a look at how we can join and participate in this fight. So why do we need to fight? Well, verse 4 tells us that believers during the time that the book was written was fighting against people who were perverting the grace of God and denying that Jesus was the only way to salvation or to eternal peace. And then further down in verses 8 through 10, it says that they constantly rejected the things of God, which they don't understand, and they used it as an excuse to live out sinful instincts. Jude actually compares them to animals who have no control. Just like back in Jude's day, we are facing similar issues. The biggest in our society, to me, has become that we are too easily swayed by things that make us feel good. And we reject anything that comes against that, that threatens that to us. Satan has just twisted this idea of love to mean that we just accept everything and that truth is relative to whatever anyone wants to believe. Also in America, with our technology and our comforts that make our lives easier, we have to be careful and understand that we are at risk that those comforts desensitize us to the truth that life does come with suffering. It does come with bad times. We just want so badly, I believe, to stay in our comfort zone. And so when anything bad comes along or when we're even asked by God to change or sacrifice instead of turning to him for his guidance and strength about all that, we just blame him. We want to blame him when bad things happen. We want to rationalize our sin and our minds so that we can get ourselves back into our little comfort box. In essence, we've become soft and we've fallen for an illusion. If we become dependent on other things that are not of God, if we become dependent on anything besides him, both personally or as a society, we begin to lose our faith that sweet, powerful faith. That And when that, when that kind of thing happens, when you start to lose your faith, it allows the devil, it opens us up to the enemy's plan, or, uh, plan for these illusions so that he can plant these false mindsets into us and lead us into these ideas that whatever feels good is good, right? That we can control our own lives. But just like verse four is telling us, When this happens, what is really happening is we are perverting the grace of God into a license, it says, for, for immortality and to deny Jesus, who is our only sovereign Lord. Just think about our great country that we're celebrating. At one time, that country, our great country, depended on God as the one and only whom we put our trust and faith in. Those who fought for our independence believed in something greater. They had faith, which enabled them to see a land of freedom. And all those who have continued throughout these years to fight for freedom for all people in our country, they first had faith. It started with faith in something. How far have we come from that? Do we, do you still depend on God? Or is your faith in other things or yourself? As we ask ourselves these questions, let's look at how do we fight for our faith? How do we keep ourselves from developing these altered perceptions and losing that faith? Let's reread verses 17 through 21. It says, But dear friends, remember, when the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold, or what, our, what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold, they said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers, who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Verses 20 and 21 give us our first commands in this fight. It says that we need to build up our faith, pray in the spirit, and keep ourselves in God's love. But we do not fight with our own strength, but by keeping ourselves in God's love. Or another way of saying that would be abiding in the love and grace of God. And then also by building up our faith and having a powerful prayer life. So let's, let me just recap. First, to fight, we must keep ourselves in God's love, abide in him. Then we must build up our faith by having a powerful prayer life. So we see that we fight with weapons that are not of this world. On the contrary, our weapons are for God and they have divine power. Amen? Amen. Second Corinthians 10.4 tells us this. It says, since the weapons of our war." of our warfare are not worldly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds, we demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to obey Christ. I hope you caught that and you felt the power and significance of that last statement. We, you have the power to demolish these arguments, these ways of thinking that come up against the truth of God. That, that attack your faith. We don't have to believe the lies. We don't have to let it control our minds. Like some, some kind of robot. Have you ever seen those movies where rob, robots take over? Or that movie, The Stratford Wives, and everybody gets brainwashed? I feel like this is what happens to humankind over and over. Of course, in our reality, it's, it's much more subtle. But isn't that how the enemy works? Typically, he's very subtle when it comes to brainwashing us. It happens over a period of time with a seemingly perfect strategy of circumstances, problems, and emotions mixed in with a little bit of truth and a whole lot of lies. But again, in Christ, we have the power to fight against this. That is the good news. Christ is the source of our strength, our abilities, and our righteousness. We don't have to depend on ourselves. We fight against these false mindsets by abiding in him. Verse 21 uses the word keep, says keep yourself in God's love. So when you feel confused, when you feel angry or hurt, rest in his love. When you find yourself tempted, don't listen to the lies, but instead remember how much Jesus loves you, how much God loves you. And if you're in the middle of a storm, facing difficult circumstances, don't try to fix it yourself, don't try to solve it. But remember the times that the Lord has come to your rescue, forgiven you, and showed you a better way of doing it. I personally am victim to this and and fall for this. My kids can testify to that. I want to fix everything. I want to control everything. So I have to remind myself often that his way is better than my way, that I have to rest in his love and stay in him so that he can guide me through these things. You see... Not only does God's grace and love save us, but it keeps us. And that's a beautiful thing. That's so reassuring. Not only did it save me from my sin, but he keeps me in his righteousness and his holiness. Only the love of God has the power to free and sustain us long term. Your efforts are only going to get you so far. There's nothing stronger, nothing more satisfying than the unconditional love of God. It penetrates hatred and pain. It can deliver the most stubborn person, melt the hardest heart and bring sight to the disillusion and set the addict free. When Jesus healed the blind and performed miracles, he did it out of his love for his children and for us. And it wasn't that he was just doing these miracles to alleviate their physical suffering. But it was ultimately to bring healing to their souls, to their spirits, to free them of that blindness, that illusion that they were under. If we are close to the Lord and we lean in and depend on him for his wisdom, that Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit will reveal not only things in our lives that are opposite to the truth, but they will alert us to those outside forces, those things that try to work their way into our minds, right? And just as God is continually trying to draw you closer to himself, guess who else is at work? Satan. He's constantly scheming against God's plan in your life. But you have to remember, by abiding in him, God will bring you into the light. He will deliver you from those illusions that literally suck the life right out of you. And, and Satan, you know, he doesn't want us to know that, right? He doesn't want you to know that Jesus has freed you from your sins, like addictions of, and pornography, bitterness, jealousy, selfishness. He wants to keep you bound by these lies that you can control things that's not that bad. He wants you to feel like you have the right to be angry with the person that hurt you or even at God. Satan knows that if you truly Knew the power of God, of God's love that is in you, that is within you, that you would be unstoppable in this battle. I know all of this is a lot easier <laughs> said than done, especially when you're in the middle of a storm that has all of a sudden turned into a hurricane, right? Or maybe you have a bunch of small things that are just battling you all at one time. Maybe for some of us it's the opposite. Good things are happening. But all of those good things bring temptations that weren't there before. So how do we put this keeping ourselves in God that verse 21 is talking about into practice? How do we put that into practice? How do we continually love and trust God when it's hard or when it's not appealing? Well, there are a few things that we can do that verse 20 tells us, and it gives us this direction. It says, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith, and praying in the Holy Spirit. We often think that achieving victory is gonna be some great revelation, but our task is often quite simple. We just have to be willing to be obedient. The word tells us here that to build up our faith and then to pray in the Holy Spirit. Building our faith is much like keeping a fire going. God supplies the material, the process in which the fire is ignited, And then we build it by continually putting the wood that God's already provided. You see, he's done the work and he'll continue to do the work. We just need to be obedient so that our faith grows stronger and it doesn't go out. The provisions God has given us, or these pieces of firewood, so to speak, to build up our faith is his word, fellowship with other believers, and his presence. Romans 10, 17 tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In the Holman Christian Standard Version, it puts it this way. I like how it it words this. It says faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. So essentially what this verse is saying is our faith is built up as we listen and study the word of God. And then that second part, it means the more we study the word, the more we hear. Chuck Smith in his commentary says, it is through the word of God that we come to know God. Knowing God, we come to believe and trust in God. The word is essential for the development of faith within my heart. It is hard to trust somebody you don't know. When a person comes up to me and says, oh, I have the hardest time trusting God. What they are really saying is, I don't really know God very well. Because if you know God well, you will have no problem, problem trusting him at all. I love that quote from him. When you look at reading the Bible from this perspective, it actually helps you understand why we should make it a priority. How are we to abide in God and stay close to him if we don't use and read the word that he gave us? It's been given to us to give us wisdom and instruction these, this, this instruction and wisdom lead us through these storms and these illusions, and then another way that we abide and build that fire of faith that I'm talking about is coming together in fellowship. Just like a fire needs more than one piece of wood, so does the fire inside of us. When we come together in the name of Jesus, our spirits are unified and we encourage one another. The reality is there's so many things in this world that are fighting for your attention, and it drains us spiritually. I mean, if you work in the secular world, you are surrounded by unbelievers all the time. And if you are constantly surrounded by faithless people who have different perspectives and beliefs, hearing that over time, it will play with your mind. Just like hearing the word of God builds our faith, hearing false teaching can also tear down our faith. So we have to come together. It's imperative that we come together, share with each other, and hear the Lord's message. So the next time that little voice inside of you is telling you to stay home and keep sleeping, or that you don't need to go to church today, remember what um, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 say this is, was during the early church and the development of the early church. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's beautiful. We too often underestimate this gift and this powerful weapon of fellowship in our lives. So now let's look at our last weapons in this arsenal and the firewood that we need to build our faith. And that is prayer. It says prayer in the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 said prayer in the Holy Spirit. Earlier, I mentioned that one of the ways we build our faith is by being in his presence, which is a part of that abiding, right? That keeping in him, being kept by him. So I want to combine this idea of being in his presence and prayer, because I believe we must pray to enter into his presence. In fact, do you know what makes prayer so powerful? It's not so much about the words that you say, as it is the act itself and the process of what is happening. When we talk to God, when we pray, we open up ourselves and invite his Holy Spirit into our lives so that He can speak into our minds, into our hearts, and into those situations that we are in. The power comes from him, not us. But he fills us with his spirit when we invite him by opening up and coming to him in prayer. And once this window is open, you're able to enter into his presence. And that's where the power is. Talk about getting to know him. This is where it happens, in his presence. The difference between Moses who saw God parted a sea and led an entire nation out of slavery was being in the presence of God versus a benchwarming Christian whose spiritual life is tossed by the waves of the sea. That is what's going to decide how strong your faith is, how great your Your relationship is with the Lord and the ministry and the work that we do is how often are we getting into his presence? The presence of God alone has the ability and power to fan your flame, to give you the extra strength that you need and energy or the word that you've been looking for, that answer that you've been looking for. It gives you the strength to keep going and to fight for your faith and the souls of those who are lost. God knows that our faith gets weak. Our faith gets weak and he knows when your fire has only embers left. That you need him to blow on them and to reignite them. So the next time you think about praying or someone invites you to pray, don't look at it or think of it as just another thing that God wants from us or just a pat on the back from a friend to encourage you. But actually put your heart into that prayer and invite the Holy Spirit into the moment. Friends, if we could see prayer this way as sacred and powerful, if we got excited to enter into that prayer closet and into a conversation with God Almighty, we would build a fire that was so big, nothing could put it out. In our scripture today, we have seen that the wars that we fight are spiritual and our weapons must also be spiritual. First, we understand that it is not our strength that we fight with, but it is by abiding in God's love and grace. And we do this by building up our faith through his word, fellowship with each other and the power of his presence and prayer. So this morning, I wanna give you the opportunity to enter into the presence of God. We know that his Holy Spirit comes into this place with us. It says when two or three are gathered, he is here, he is present with us. But you have to choose to invite him into your heart, into your space. He's a gentleman, he's not going to force himself. So we, I just pray this morning that you will feel the Spirit of God, that you will come to him to get up close and personal with him. C.S. Lewis said in, his, in a sermon that he wrote, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition with infinite joy when, when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are too easily pleased we are far too easily pleased some sobering words are you too far easily pleased or as my favorite magician said are you settling for a counterfeit version of God's truth and goodness I know we all fall into this trap and I would be a liar if I told you that I had never been caught in false mindsets even at our training school this kind of thing can happen in some ways more so I have to fight. We have to fight against getting too comfortable and to be reminded that our power comes from God through prayer and through his word and through each other. That none of us can do this on our own. And the good news is God doesn't ask us to. He sent his son to fight and he's already won the war. Now all we have to do is believe and abide in his love to allow the power of the Holy Spirit to lead us through the storms, the smoke, and the illusions. So get up every day and remember who you are. Remember who you belong to. Set your mind on things above and take every thought captive until he, you have determined his will for your life. Knowing that he is with you, that you have a future in him, not only here, but also in eternity. He's preparing a place for us, right? A place where we don't have to worry about these illusions and these storms and these battles anymore. He's preparing a place for those who love him and who are fighting the good fight. So if you are here today and you don't know if you have a place in heaven, if you have not experienced the power of God's love and grace, now is the time. Don't continue to walk in darkness or illusions and being blind. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know if, what you believe in. Some of you sitting here may be confused and don't know what you believe in either. But none of us is perfect. None of us has it all figured out. But while um, if, the, if we have some music that we can play, we could just enter into some prayer, I just invite you into this presence, like I said. I invite you to sit and be still, to rest and know that you are loved. You don't have to force yourself into his presence. You don't have to pray hard enough just have to be available just lift up your heart to God your prayers to God tell him how you feel if you have confusion if you don't understand something he's there, he's listening just take your time and just rest you don't have to be in a hurry this morning just rest in his love and know that he cares for you